0: The letter of Jude. I'm going to read verses one through four, so please stand with me as I read God's word. The letter of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Verse three, beloved or beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is God's Word for God's people. Thanks, Aaron. Mm-hmm. You could uh, pray with me. God, we are grateful that we are here today. Uh, we are grateful that... As we sang that while we were sinners, Christ, you died for us. And that all of our sin was taken away, and now we have a new identity. And I'm grateful that we have the righteousness of Christ. That while Jesus, you were... While we were sinners, Jesus, you took the shame, took the cross, took all of it, and gave us your righteousness in return. So we're here today just to first thank you, to bask in the good news of the glory, to worship our King, our Savior, our Master, and I pray that you will lead us, that you will guide us all today uh, in your truth, that your Spirit will convict, conform, and make all of us look more like your Son, God. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It is a short book. And I want to start with this word picture in mind. It comes from Matthew 15. Jesus is there. He's got His boys there. And they're sitting and they're, they're engaged with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these religious people. And they test Jesus, asking Him for a sign. Jesus rebukes them, and then they leave. And they go on a little sailing expedition. They land and Jesus is there and the boys are just stuck and they're saying, hey, we're hungry. Did you bring the bread? No, did you? And they're preoccupied and worried about the bread and Jesus turns to them and says, why are you worried about that leaven? You should be worried about the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. That bread. And the disciples turn and they go, Oh, we get it. He's not talking about bread. He's worried that these false teachers are proclaiming a false message. And they missed it. Hey, I'm hungry. Dude, what are we getting? Get Get bread. These people, it's like cooking. You have salt, but you might have rat poison right next to it. They might look the same. They might smell like the same, but they're not the same. And one, if you contaminate it with the other, is dangerous. you got to be careful that it doesn't come in unnoticed. That's the imagery we have today that we just read in Jude. And we pick up. And we see right from the get-go in these first four verses, I love these books that start out, start out by saying, who wrote it? It was written by Jude, the brother of, J- of James, and the half-brother of Jesus. But notice the first thing you say, he doesn't identify himself first as the half-brother. He says, I am the servant of Jesus. This word "servant" in the Greek is important to understand, because he uses his stylistic language in a few verses after. He says, like, "I'm a, I'm a bond servant, a slave, one willing who gave his life to follow King Jesus. I gave it up. I'm not my own," as Paul said. "I was bought with the price. And who I am, I'm a servant of King Jesus. That's his identity. We serve, as he says right after, our master. He's my Lord. He owns me. And my job, my purpose, my mission, I am here to testify of this grace and to contend for the gospel. Jude, this servant is kept by and for Jesus. And he writes a short but action-packed Little letter. And it's pretty confrontational if you've read it. It's pretty confrontational in nature. It doesn't beat around the bush. I like watching MMA. And you can watch some fights where they'll just jab, move, jab, move, do nothing for four minutes. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. How is this going to play out? That's not the book of Jude. Jude starts right from the jump. After his introduction, saying, Hey, I'm I, I, beloved, I want to have a multiplication of mercy and grace and peace upon you. After his initial intro, here's what he says he identifies why he wrote it right from the jump, no mixing words. Let's go. He says, I wanted to write to you in regards to our common salvation, but rather, he calls this people group who were mixed. Probably mixed with Jews and Gentiles. If you read all of Jude, which she'll take you a little catnap, you blink and it's done. There's so many Old Testament references. These Jewish and Gentile people, these, with, they're recognizing these references. And so he is saying to them that they get it. Hey, I'm going to ask you to contend. I was going to write about the gospel. Now I'm switching gears a little bit. And it is about the gospel just differently. Instead of writing about our common salvation and rejoicing, I've got a job to do. The Holy Spirit, He inspired me to write. And now what I'm asking to write to you is this. I need you to contend. I need you to contend. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are those in your midst who are preaching a gospel that isn't a gospel. They have contorted or perverted the gospel of grace and you didn't see it. Ironically, Jude was one who was with Jesus but did not believe, if you read the gospels, until after the resurrection. Then, This one who gets converted by seeing his king, his master, his Lord, raised from the dead. Okay, now it's go time. Now it's go time. And he writes, now as a staunch follower and defender of King Jesus. Hey, I'm going to need you to stand. I'm going to need all of you to contend for the unadulterated, true gospel of Christ. It's a clarion call. It's a short but loud call. Are you awake? Do you see it? Do you know it? And are you defending it? Jude's a book that sounds Very familiar to 2 Peter if you've read both. The date probably is in the mid-60s after 2 Peter was started getting circulated. So you see a lot of the same language that Jude uses is what Peter used in 2 Peter. However, if I erased Jude and I just put up there, hey, I got a message for you, it's our announcement, and I read all of Jude to you, and you didn't know where it was from, it would sound eerily similar to a prophetic letter for a time and place such as this. That's because despite despite what the culture, what the media, what schools, what institutions of higher learning are trying to indoctrinate us with, the Bible is not outdated. It's not culturally irrelevant. It's timeless. And it's amazingly relevant and applicable today, just as it was almost 2,000 years ago for Jude. These people, Jude writes, these people that we need to contend against in. They were stinky. They were crafty. You didn't see them come in. It says unnoticed. They're wreaking havoc. They're promoting and perverting the gospel of grace. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to Jude and inspires him to pen these words, because all of God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation, is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God, and the only authority Christians bask their life under. It governs us. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to Jude, and Jude writes this, you missed it. They crept in unnoticed. Like Jesus with his disciples after they talked to the Sadducees and Pharisees. You were worried about the bread. And these people are heretics. You should be worrying about the words of God. Look at verses 3 and 4 again and you'll see what I mean. Notice Notice how Jude states how eager he was to write about and rejoice in their common salvation. But because certain people crept in and were perverting the Gospel, again he had to detour and wake them up to contend for the Gospel. And the scary part of this section for me is not that Jude says that these ungodly false teachers were long ago destined for condemnation. But rather, they were actively perverting the grace of God and came in unnoticed. Latoya Raveno, she is the executive producer of Disney to controls it. Here was her release after she was hired. In my little proud pocket of Disney family, the showrunners, the writers, the creators were super welcoming of my not-so-secret gay agenda. I don't have to be afraid of these two characters kissing in the background. I felt comfortable, wherever I could, adding queerness. No one would stop me, and no one here is trying to stop me. Now, we hear that, and most of us might recognize, hey, that's, that's not aligning with Scripture. Most of us can hear a press release from Disney saying, I'm trying at every opportunity to add queerness, promote the gay agenda. And for most of us, it's, hey, that's not okay. We can see it. We get it. That's not what Jude's talking about. See, we change that and remove Disney from the banner and put it inside a church or in a Christian book or a Christian singer and add in and sprinkle in some verses. Use some Jesus talk. Use some interpretation gymnastics to contort Scripture. And call it biblical love and unconditional grace and forgiveness that God's love is greater than your sexuality. And now, here we are. It might be easy for us to sniff out the Disney. But what about the Christian, the ungodly teacher who's teaching a false perversion of the gospel of grace? That it's okay. According to NBC News, Gallup and two other sources, the range of the LGBTQ plus community who claim to be Protestant or Catholic, who attend church regularly, at least once a month. Which after COVID, that's pretty regularly. It's 30 to 40%. 30 to 40%. That was 2022 stat. 30 to 40% of this group identifies I'm Protestant and I'm a regular attender of a church. And I've reconciled my lifestyle with Jesus. It's okay, or at least I think it's okay. Matthew Vines was a Harvard philosophy student who studied homosexuality, and he wrote a book called God and the Gay Christian, which, like Katniss and Hunger Games, caught fire. And what's happened is it sparked a movement in Protestant churches. Same-sex marriage is okay. It's grace. It's grace. Jesus and the Bible, according to Matthew, and the followers that are buying in have done what Jude said. They've come in, they've crept in unnoticed, and perverted the gospel of grace for sensuality. Because what they said is taken Romans 1, or 1 Corinthians 6, or a slew of other passages and said, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about pedophilia, or it's talking about, um, not same-sex, Christ-centered, monogamous, homosexual marriages. It's talking about a guy with a lot of different guys. He's just promiscuous. No, Matthew, you're wrong. But what's happened, and you've seen it. We drive through Fort Collins, you drive wherever we are, and you see Episcopal or Methodist or Lutheran or church after church after church. Love is love. They've taken the word of God, which has been clear, clear on defining sexuality and sensuality, and they have perverted and contorted it It's this slow chipping away. and it revolves around the faith-shattering twister scripting, scripture twisting, question that has started sin. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? I'll come back to that in a little bit. I told you, Jude, this action-packed little book is super applicable. They've crept in, they've perverted the gospel, they twisted it, they've changed it. And I need you to contend. I need you to, to contend. if this word means to labor vigorously or to strive to fight. There's an attack, I'm going to be grounded. And I'm going to contend for what is behind me—the truth of God. Matter of fact, in the King James, it says "earnestly contend." Like, like uh, this is my job. Who am I? And I'll talk about later. I'm one, as Aaron said earlier. I'm an ambassador. I represent the King of kings and Lord of lords and the holiest holy book of all. And what will I do? I'm going to contend for it. The language is strong. Like I said, it's like being in an MMA fight. Are you prepared? Am I ready when I leave for the day? Am I ready talking to Christians that are buying into it to contend? The words in the Bible, in this area, are that Christians, yes, yes, we are to be humble and meek, but that doesn't mean passive and weak. Jude's asking, are you ready to contend? I need you to. I was going to write. I was going to write about our common salvation, but this is so dire. God impressed upon my heart. I need you to contend for the gospel. These people have contorted it, stand for it. In a way, he just reiterates what Scripture says that we, we are the pillar and support of truth. I love how Scripture brings on layer and layer and layer to build a theology. It's not a one-off. This is not just one little passage in Jude that we take and go, okay, we're going to contend. Jude says it, but you can't miss it if you read Scripture. Look at Paul in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Or Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle Against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Words matter. We heard that last week. Words matter. Why such strong language? If you remember the words that you just read, there's words of contending, fighting, destroy, warfare, wrestling, armor. I said, we're not called to be passive and weak. I could have a separate message unpacking why this language is so strong, but I want us to see, in light of what Jude is saying with contending, Satan's crafty. We read it. He's crafty. It's a scheme, it's a game plan. And do we see it? Jesus, Christianity is not a buffet that we get to pick and choose what we like and don't like. Jude's saying contend for this gospel. They've perverted it. And it's serious. Look at how Paul addresses the seriousness and the inception of the alterations of the Gospel in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. They are sincere, they are devoted, but they're being led astray. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you have a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted and you put up with it readily enough, it goes on, ending the section, what I'm doing, meaning contending, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. They are not the same. They may look like salt, They might smell like it. They're not. For such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and their end will correspond to their deeds. I'll touch on that second in a second. It is pretty hard. That language is pretty strong, but it is loving, protective language, calling these deceitful angels of light that are spreading false doctrines as false apostles, deceitful workmen, they're servants of Satan. That's our battle. Jude's writing it. Hey, they, kept, they crept in unnoticed. You didn't see it. You didn't catch it. And they're perverting the Gospel. So I'm going to need you to stand and contend or earnestly fight, labor vigorously. It's like being on a landing ship tank on Ju- June 6, 1944, and you're getting off the, into, onto the beach of Omaha. Are you ready? Do you see the danger in front of you? Am I paying attention to what's happening around me? Or do I just get off going, hey, it's a cool beach. Dude, there's so much water. It's so pretty. There's lots of loud noises, but... Peter says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. These false teachers kept crept in unnoticed. There wasn't a reality that there are people, that there's a war, that we have a liar an adversary, a thief, a deceiver, an angel of light, one who's coming to steal, kill, and devour. And his servants are going to take on a form of righteousness. Am I paying attention? Am I contending? Am I ready? Because he's a roaring lion. And he's on the prowl. And one effective way that we see here in this passage is that there are people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And they contort scripture trying to deceive the sheep. Satan did it with Adam and Eve and succeeded, he tried to do it again with Jesus and failed. The word of God is powerful. He used words to speak creation into existence. Jesus, who was the word, put on flesh and came into this earth. Psalm says that God esteems his name and his words above all things. And his words are a light and a lamp unto our feet and our path. These demonic forces Peter and Paul are writing about, they can't defeat or conquer his word. They can't. You know what they can do? Distort it. Pervert it. Change it. Make it look like it is true, but it is not. And that's why false teachers are so dangerous. That's why the language is so stark by Jude of contending and fighting, they're coming in here. They have perverted it. Strong word. I mean, we've seen this in our culture. Teachers who come in to churches and raise up churches and plant and pastor, and they have a form of godliness, and they can get a megachurch in Houston, and you can sit with Osteen under America's pastor. But when asked if Mormons are Christians, when asked if hell is real, when asked if homosexuality is a sin, oh, I I can't say that. You might grow a church, you've perverted the gospel. To a Grammy Award winning singer, and when asked on national TV if homosexuality is a sin, her response, I have lots of friends that are gay. Um, I don't know. I haven't studied that enough. I'm just going to leave that to God. To a pastor of a large movement in church, Who not only kissed dating goodbye, he kissed his wife and his faith goodbye. And now is proselytizing people to reject the faith. Or to a best selling Christian who writes books and videos and curriculum, but changes. To appease the masses, possibly don't know his motive. I don't think hell's for real. I think everyone gets saved. Put a cute little title in the book called Love Wins. And now you're a best selling author, leading people astray. The danger here by just these few examples. Isn't that we don't have battles to fight? It's not for us Christians that we don't recognize where the contenting areas are, it's that we're just silent, we can tend to be passive. And here's how we got here, in my opinion. First, we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, and then we persecute those who call it evil. Think of our culture, think of if Jude was writing today, hey, I need you to contend, false teachers have come, come in and crept and perverted the Gospel of grace. They've denied Jesus, our only Master. I wanted to write to you about the Gospel. I need the detour. And now I'm writing to contend. We've, in our culture, and in unfortunately too many churches, we've overlooked evil. We're not going to engage in that. That might be too political. Political. We've permitted it. We've even legalized it. Then we promote it. Then we celebrate it. We don't just want you to accept it. You need to celebrate it. It reminds me of Isaiah 5.20. Woe to them who call evil good and good evil. Jude makes this statement from Isaiah in another fashion in verse 4, when he says these certain people, these false teachers who are promoting and teaching a perverted for, form of the gospel of sensuality as those who have been designated cond- for condemnation. Matter of fact, it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be an example for you. You might think it's okay. These people might think it's okay. But it will be, let Sodom and Gomorrah be an example. We hear these, as Jude said, these perversions of the gospel in our culture and unfortunately more and more in our church of love is love, Let kids decide their own gender. It's not a baby. It's my sexual choice. Porn doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, after all, you can look at the menu. You just can't order. I think it's actually really wise. More and more Christians are buying this. It's really wise to live and have sex before you get married. Why? Because then at least you get to know people. You get to see if it works. I mean, we're going to get married in a few months anyway. It's grace. The heart of these falsities go back to Genesis. I said I would come back to it later. Did God really say that? Did God really say it? Jude goes back to Genesis. I'm going to go back to Genesis. Some of us tend to think when Adam and Eve were there, when Eve bit, Adam was gone. Scripture doesn't say he was gone. (laughs) Scripture states that she was lured in by the lies and deception and the craftiness of the serpent, the evil one and she bit, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam wasn't gone. He just wasn't contending. He wasn't standing. He wasn't fighting earnestly. He wasn't rigorously holding to truth. And it's the same today as it was with Jude. According to a 2022 Gallup poll, the majority of Christians, 58% say the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Now, the poll I looked said that like yay. That actually disappoints me. 25% say that it should be taken literally. What this is saying is that from people and what Gallup was saying is those who are going to church twice a month in our country, those who attend a church twice a month, half of it say it's the inspired word of God. God wrote it. 75% of them say this. Shouldn't be taken literally. I'm not going to follow it. We're silent. We're not contending. Did God really say that? Jude's asking them and he's asking us today because his word again is timeless. Are we contending? Are we passionately and fervently yet lovingly contending for the true gospel of Jesus in our culture that has made it sexualized and perverted it? Did God really say love is love? After all, they're not hurting anybody. Isn't God gracious? Isn't he loving? Doesn't he love us more than our sexuality? No, contending is God is love. Love is not love, God is. Contending is saying, Jesus, you you got it wrong, Matthew. Matthew Vines, you say Jesus never condemned homosexuality. Matthew 19, he does. He talks about a marriage between a man and a woman. Contending is saying, no, love is not love, but it is a sin. And God's grace is, and God's love is there to forgive you. And there is no shame, there's no condemnation. You're not dirty in Christ. God's blood is, Jesus' blood is sufficient. You are whiter than snow in Him. Just turn and repent. And He will remember your sins no more. Contending is not treating homosexuals worse because they're gay. But it is saying, this is not the gospel. It is a perversion. I will stand for truth. Earlier I brought up a comment. And it's a challenging one. Jude, the context here, when you say perversion, there's a lot in that word sensuality. There's a perversion of grace to indulge the flesh in matters of sexuality and sensuality. And it's one that's ravaging our culture. me, there is no shame or condemnation for anyone in here for what I'm going to say. Rather, let us contend. Let us excel still more in throwing off the matter of the deeds of the flesh. 28,000 people a second watch porn. 2.5 billion emails are sent every day with pornography. Sixty-eight million searches a day are for porn. Twenty-five percent of all web searches are pornographic. Thirty-five percent of all American downloads are, por- are from porn. One-third of porn viewers are women. And the average age of starting pornography is eight to ten years old but has this crept into the church is what judas saying hey it's crept in it's happening it's been okay it's going on is it in the church i looked up four studies 68% of men 18 through 65, who say they go to church twice a month. And 50% of pastors in our country look at porn regularly. 76% of men, 18 through 24, look at it. The Gospel Coalition states that 30% of women do, and that 70% of unchurched Americans state that it's not morally wrong, it's neutral, and actually agreed upon can be really beneficial for your marriage. We wonder why we get it. It has crept into the church. And the perversion of grace sometimes that Judas saying is contending for is, hey, this needs to be eradicated. It needs to be eradicated. There is a perversion of the gospel of grace. Hey, I'm a guy. It's what we do. No, again, no judgment, no shame. It's saying, let us contend. Let us make war with the lie of the enemy. And contend for the gospel of grace which says this. If you are stuck, as Hebrews 12 says you're so easily ensnared by sin, throw it off. And if you need help, go reach out to people. Don't keep it in the secret. Contending is, I will make it public. I will share. I'm going to go talk to a pastor. I'm going to go talk to our friends. I'm going to go talk to people. And I will, will overcome this. Because that's my name. I'm an overcomer. That's my identity. I'm a new creation in Christ. The same power that rose Christ from the dead dwells within me. And you know what contending is? This ain't going to define me. It's not going to mark me. And I'm not going to deal with this. Why? Because the same power that rose him from the dead dwells within me. And now through Christ in him because of his blood and that spirit that reigns and he reigns in me. He rules in me. He is my king and I will overcome this. Why? I'm contending. By grace shall we keep on sinning? By no means. May it never be. That's contending. That's not taking the the grace of the gospel and saying it's okay. No. Jesus died for it. And I close with this. These are just a few examples. But how do we keep contending in our age uh, is what I just said. Okay, 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 Cyrus, I get it. We need to contend. There's been some perversions in the Gospel. There's been some twisting, some contortions. Maybe I don't see it. Maybe I don't know it. How can I? First is what Aaron said. What's of first importance? Remembering the Gospel. Remembering our identity. Who we are in Christ. Is that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me? I was born into sin, but while I was a sinner... God made him who knew no sin become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus lived perfectly, died horrifically, and rose triumphantly. Why? That if anyone will put their faith in him, in him alone, then the grace of God will make you a new creation. That the old is gone, the new is here, and we fight and contend from the false doctrines out of who we are in Christ, standing alone on the bedrock word of God, Secondly, we realize we're an ambassador. We contend because it is the the mission and job that God has given us is we are ambassadors. We represent King Jesus. And wherever, as Josh said last week, wherever we go, wherever we work, wherever we play, wherever we live, wherever it is, are we silent like Adam? Or are we contending like Jude? The world will try to tear it down. And if we're we're rooted in our identity, which is why I said it, then we are okay with being canceled, ostracized, and left. Doesn't mean it feels good. My junior of college, I told my father, and I didn't really have a relationship with my dad, he left when I was a kid. And we had just picked up a relationship again after like eight years of not talking to him. And after months of being in a relationship again, my father, my dad turns to me and says, son, why do you believe in a fairy tale? I said, I don't. He goes, "You believe, so you believe in Santa? Do you believe in the tooth fairy? I said, no, I believe in Jesus. I didn't raise an idiot. If you're gonna be a loser and go to seminary instead of med school or dental school, like I said I would, we are done. I said, okay. He left and changed his number. I understand what I'm asking, which is contending for truth in a culture that is not conducive for it. It might cost us some things. This is a very personal message for me. And I just scratched the surface of why. But Jude says it twice. Beloved, beloved, we are His. We are God's. And now He's asking us Contend. Don't stay silent. They're unnoticed. Notice them and contend. And it remembers, it makes me remember the words of Peter and John when they were arrested and they were in jail. They were brought before the authorities. Hey, stop it. You can't keep preaching. And their words. I can't help but preach and teach and share about the things I've seen and heard. Let that be our prayer. Let the words of Judah, lovingly but firmly contending, so encapsulate us that wherever we go, we stand for the word of God. Let's pray. King Jesus, I am grateful. I am grateful. For who you are, and who you are is our Savior. You were the one who took our shame, our sin, and you got it nailed to the cross, and you took it, and you gave us your righteousness. So, if there's anyone here who is struggling with any form of sin, And any form of buying into the lies of Satan and anything I've talked about today, I pray that this will be the day that they won't sit in lies or judgment or shame, but sit in the freedom of Christ that is just beckoning us. Come, come to me. And your grace and your words, which are sweeter than honey, and your forgiveness, which cleanses us and makes us whiter than snow. Let that be what reigns today. God empowers through your spirit to contend earnestly for the faith Enable us, equip us, and let us do it together as a community of brothers and sisters, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.